Hi, I'm Kate Spina. This is Toward Light, Practical Buddhism for the Modern World. Each week, I explore ways to apply these timeless teachings to our daily life. Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of season 3 of the Toward Light podcast. This episode, I want to look at expectations that come along with spiritual practice and how often they're unrealistic and actually create more suffering, more dukkha. Often there's this idea that if you're practicing a spiritual path, that means your entire life is going to look a certain way. So when you have a reaction to a stimulus that you're not happy with, you might think, I'm doing the practice wrong, or the practice isn't working for me. An example. I'm on the phone with Telmex. I've been switched to three different customer service reps. They refuse to let me talk to a manager. Anger builds and I raise my voice. Immediately, there's a voice in my head that says, you're a Buddhist, you're on a spiritual path, you are clearly doing things wrong, etc., etc. That second arrow is what I want to bring our attention to. So what do I mean by second arrow? A simile that the Buddha uses to describe dukkha difficulty, the first noble truth, is that you're shot by an arrow and and then shot a second time. So in my example, the first arrow was my outburst, but then the second arrow was my self-judgment, shame, berating. 100% we need to take responsibility for our actions, but there's a difference between productive remorse and self-flagellation. So this second arrow of these unrealistic expectations on our spiritual path of being perfect or having it reach every aspect of our life all the time, that's dukkha, that's suffering, that's the first noble truth. Another thing to point to in this example besides dukkha is this thought of I'm doing the practice wrong or that practice isn't working for me. That's the hindrance of doubt. So if you're practicing and things aren't going the way you thought they would, The delusion of doubt can arise, and in some cases, doubt is considered the most concerning hindrance because doubt can take you off the path. Doubt can make you say, oh, this isn't working for me. I'm not going to practice anymore. Just because I yelled at the person on the phone does not mean that the practice isn't working. It means I have more to learn. Growth is a spiral. We may need to revisit certain scenarios, certain relationships, certain triggers multiple times before our behavior changes. That's human. That's normal. So when the hindrance of doubt arises, doubt in the path, doubt in our progress in the path, it's useful to see what nuggets of truth are there. Maybe your practice has been pretty relaxed, or maybe the practice has felt dry and you need to mix it up or study a little bit more. But mostly, doubt is just doubt, just a delusion in the mind, and we suffer if we give it too much attention. Another way unrealistic expectations in the spiritual life show up is tied to Sakyaditi, self-identity view. Whatever the identity is, I'm a Buddhist, I'm a spiritual person, I'm a good parent, I'm a boss, I'm nice, whatever. There's an idea in the mind about what that means. That is just an idea, an ignorant thought in the mind. That thought ignores the truth of anatta, the reality that we're changing all the time. That thought ignores the truth of the skandhas, the truth that there are multiple aspects that make up consciousness, and then the way that works for each of us is different. 
So your idea of good mom is different than your child's idea of good mom. Or my perception of how I want to be a good Buddhist is different than someone else's. When we're experiencing any second arrow of dukkha, that's a great time to look at what identities we might be holding on to that are getting in the way of us being in and accepting our present moment experience. I've heard Mary Stancavage use the phrase, fist fight with reality. When we have unrealistic expectations of the path, of our relationship to Buddhism, of our progress, we are having a fist fight with reality. We're not accepting what's truly here, what is actually happening. We're trying to force something that isn't real, that's just an idea. If I cannot see what is here, then I cannot grow. An example, I live in Mexico. I want to be a good expat. So I want to be respectful of the culture I live in, speak the language well, things like that. I put pressure on myself to be perfect, to not make mistakes. But guess what? The reality is I am a gringa. I have an accent. I've been speaking Spanish for less than two years. So I can fist fight with reality and beat myself up for not being perfect, or I can accept the circumstances as they are in this moment and learn and grow accordingly. When we're reactive to certain situations, people, stimuli, we need to offer ourselves some grace. There may be patterns that we need to work through. Some of this is hardwired in our neural pathways, and it takes time to create new ones. So if you have an aversion to flying, maybe you've had some bad experiences, maybe you just don't like it, you need to be aware that being in an airport may be a trigger for you, and you may not always respond in ways you would like. As Rodney Smith says, we're not always going to be up to the task of doing skillful actions, but we can always be up to the task of being honest to the knowing. So we know when we are unskillful. Again, not in a self-flagellating way, but from a place of non-judgmental awareness. One aspect of the brain I want to talk about is the amygdala and the fight, flight, or freeze response that it puts out when it perceives a threat. This is the oldest part of our brain, sometimes referred to as the lizard brain. So if we expect two years of daily meditation to override this process that's been happening for millennia, we're going to be disappointed. But with mindful awareness, we can see that response more clearly, learn more about our triggers, and find tools to move through that process in a more responsive rather than reactive way. We also need to honor the limits of any spiritual path. Developing wisdom, ethics, meditation, compassion are all great and useful tasks. And there may be moments when you need additional tools as well. While in many ways humans are still the same as they were 2,500 years ago when Siddhartha Gautama was teaching, there have been many cultural shifts, medical and technological developments which have changed how we experience the world. So expecting a tradition from 2,500 years ago to fill every gap and heal every wound is not realistic. Whether it's psychotherapy, shamanic work, acupuncture, psychiatry, yoga, ECT, whatever, It's okay and appropriate to recognize when other tools are needed. I once had a teacher friend tell me the simile of a tree, that trees have a tap root, which goes deeper and thicker than the other roots, but then it still has a network of all these other roots. 
So for me, Theravada Buddhism is my taproot, my root tradition. But some of the other roots that are currently supporting me include dance, shamanism, medication, 12-step recovery, making art, just to name a few. When I first found Theravada Buddhism, I had a narrow view and tried to rigidly hold myself to a standard of being a good Buddhist and quote-unquote following all the rules and not leaning on outside sources. But when I relaxed and allowed myself to hold the tradition more lightly, I have been more able to be skillful and cause less harm to myself and to others. I now want to point to ways where we may have unrealistic expectations about organizations and larger groups. We may think that a spiritual community, whether it's a Dharma center, a temple, a retreat center, a church, we may think it's going to be quote-unquote well-run or more enlightened or easy to deal with. But guess what? Spiritual communities are made up of people, and people are nature, and nature is chaos. So to think that just because some people share some certain beliefs that they are going to run an effective organization is dangerous. We can get disappointed and delusion real fast if we put teachers or spiritual leaders or organizations on a pedestal. In Theravada Buddhism, we've seen situations where nuns have been abused, neglected, or denied ordination status, even though the Pali Canon points to non-discrimination and equality. In Myanmar, we see the persecution of Muslims, especially the Rohingya, by leaders who identify as Buddhist. We've seen sanghas fall apart due to financial insolvency, ethical violations, power dynamics. This does not mean it's impossible for there to be a skillful, well-run spiritual community. It just means that we need to acknowledge that it all takes work, and it's important to be able to see things for what they are and not get blinded by a fantasy of what they could be or what you want them to be. The final thing I want to mention is, as we get realistic about the spiritual life, we do need to acknowledge the things we cling to that get in the way of our freedom. As Megan Cowan says, we underestimate how reluctant we are to be free. Whether it's a preference for a certain type of weather, a striving to excel in our career, a wish for our children to be successful, We all have areas of our lives where we don't want to let go. We don't want to be free. Some examples. I want to be more generous, but also not give up my regular vacations. I want to be kinder, but I want to continue to hate an entire political party. I want to be non-attached, but I cling to my family and don't want it to change. This is a part of the path of seeing our unwillingness to be free. Each time we spiral through the stages of growth, through the steps of the path, we let go a little bit, and we see more and more the places that we're holding on. Often when people begin meditation, they perceive that they are quote-unquote getting worse, but that's just because they're more clearly seeing all of the greed, aversion, and delusion. When we're asleep, we don't see it. When we choose to wake up, live a spiritual life, we see the whole of life, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. And that means you're on the bumpy path to freedom. Thank you for listening. Please check out any links in the show notes. You can find me on my website, towardlight.net, or on Instagram at towardlight108.